Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Amen. Let's stand now for the reading of our passage for this morning's sermon. It is 2 Timothy 2, verses 20 and 21. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Be seated. Now, you remember from last week, the Apostle Paul calls out two men for their particular sins. Hymenaeus and Philetus. These men, he wrote, were indulging in worldly and empty chatter. That worldly and empty chatter had a doctrinal content. They were teaching one thing, at least. They were teaching, contrary to the apostles, that the resurrection had already taken place. Sort of a big deal, right? Resurrection has already taken place. Of course, Jesus has, but all of his people They have not been raised. The apostle calls those men out by name and calls Timothy to warn the others in the church that if they behave in a similar way, ungodliness will spread in the church like gangrene spreads in the body. And when ungodliness spreads in the church, what happens? Well, the faith of some is, is upset entirely. So false doctrine, rather than being something we allow to exist along right doctrine, is something that must be opposed, it must be exposed, it, it, it has to be fought against, it has to be brought out into the open. And what better way to do that than to write a letter to Timothy about the church he's at in Ephesus and just name two men, Hymenaeus and Philetus. If that's not done... If, if false doctrine is not exposed, ungodliness will increase and some will even abandon the faith because of false doctrine. Now, in our text for this week, the Apostle Paul uses an analogy to make a point about the church and our usefulness in the church. He writes, Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. And so now Paul uses these uh, same kinds of objects, household vessels, cups, plates, etc., elsewhere in his writings. You remember in Romans chapter 9, the apostle writes, Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and... um, And another, he says, for common use. In in that case, the honorable vessels, and you remember that passage in Romans 9 about election. In that case, the honorable vessels are the elect, and the common vessels are the reprobate. 
right? Those who will not be saved. In our passage in 2 Timothy 2, I believe when he speaks of God's household, he is speaking of the church. So within the church, right, within the church, there are those who are honorable vessels made of gold and of silver, and there are common vessels made of wood and clay. The former are for, as he says, honorable use. And the latter are, as he says, for dishonorable use. Um, Within the church, then, there's a mixture, right? There's a mixture of honorable and dishonorable vessels. Um, Within the church are those who are working for God's glory and those who, like Hymenaeus and Philetus, are working against God's glory. Our Savior makes this same point, doesn't he, when he tells uh, a parable about the wheat and the tares. You remember the parable about the wheat and the tares? He says this, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore again, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, for while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest, and in the time of the harvest I will say to the reapers, First, Gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. So the church on earth is this mixture of honorable and dishonorable vessels, special and common vessels, wheat and tares. There is in the midst of the church those who believe and those who don't believe. Uh, There are the elect and there are the reprobate sitting in our pews. And those categories go across whether or not you're a member or not a member. Some who have professed faith have done so genuinely. And some who have professed faith have done so hypocritically. Uh, As Calvin says, bad men are mixed with the good. And that happens chiefly in the church. That happens chiefly in the church. Bad are mixed with the good. There are two temptations. Knowing that that's the case, and that's the the teaching of this passage and the teaching of our Lord, there are a few temptations when it comes to that knowledge. First, we can overreact to the bad. Right? We can overreact to the bad. Right? Tear tear up all those tears while the wheat is, is still tender. Um... Like Jesus says, there's a sense in which you allow the tares and the wheat to grow together until the harvest. Then the separating will be done by the Lord, whose discernment is perfect. Right? God's discernment is perfect. He knows exactly what is a wheat and what is tare, what is an honorable vessel, what is the dishonorable vessel. In fact, he has ordained that, and so he knows it perfectly. But that is not to say that we are not to oppose vigorously those who prove themselves bad men, right? There are times when it's clear that somebody is is bad, right? Not in the church for the glory of God, sinning in ways that are obnoxious and and, um, 
out in the open, right? If, uh, in other words, if a man like Philetus is purpose, purposely misleading people, then he is not to be allowed to grow up among the wheat. He's a gigantic tear in the field. It's obvious. You tear that one down. He is to be silenced. A factious man, Paul writes, is to be rejected after one or two warnings. You think Philetus and Hymenaeus were factious men saying that the resurrection had already occurred? Absolutely. The man who had his father's wife in Corinth. Remember, that was one of the sins in Corinth. A man had his father's wife. Is to be handed over to Satan. That's what Paul says. Hand the man over to Satan. But the one who is doing none of those things and yet has a hypocritical profession is to be allowed to grow together with the wheat. There may be many hypocritical professions, but there's not an outward scandalous sin that they're committing, and they'll be allowed to grow up with the wheat. Or you get more and more and more intensely scrupulous till you start excommunicating people for the hair, their, the, the color of their hair. And we'll start with redheads. It's a joke, Esther. A church that overreacts to the bad would be a church that is too scrupulous. A church that somehow thinks that it is perfectly pure. And that has to, um, has to resort to uh, pharisaical rules in order to bring the, the, the purity to and uh, the so-called purity to a very strict level. You know, the, peer, the, the Pharisees considered the righteous man to be the one who tithed his mint and dill. Well, of course, that was just what was expected uh, from God, to tithe of your harvest. But, um, but they also then would go on and neglect to care for their parents, right? But they had those little rules that really um, purified their church in a false way. And so they would overreact to the bad. They, um, a, a overly scrupulous church might begin formal discipline against those, that, those things that Scripture allows some freedom on, right? Like food, like education, like uh, educational methods, right? This, this kind of church would say we must, we must formally discipline anybody who does not home educate. Because without that understanding, there's going to be no purity in our church. Right? That, that would be an overreaction to the dishonorable and an overreaction to um, error that exists in the church. On the other hand, we can be weak in our reaction to the bad. Right? We can be so dedicated um, about allowing the wheat and the tares to grow up together that we refuse to practice any sort of discipline for the worst offenses in the church. We, we, we don't talk about sin from the pulpit, right? We don't practice, we don't practice any admonition in loving our, our neighbors by going and saying, look, I think, brother, you're in sin. That's just, to, that's just to allow the tares and the wheat to grow up and get the same nourishment and the same water and do nothing in order to pose air. We become like Corinth, before the Apostle Paul took the stick to them, right? What was Corinth doing about that, that man who had his father's wife? It's not that they weren't doing anything. It's that they were actually boasting 
about this freedom that they had in their congregation. Freedom to practice incest. Right? So we become like Corinth before the Apostle Paul takes the stick to them. They boasted that they had a man in their congregation who was with his father's wife. They boasted in their open-mindedness and in their magnanimity. Right? For the sake of the individual, for the sake of that one individual, they sacrifice the purity of the whole church. They allow a little leaven right, to leaven the whole lump. Instead, they should seek to discipline those who are proving themselves to be dishonorable vessels. So we can react poorly in both directions, right? We can be too restrictive. We can be too licentious when it comes to dealing with this, this mixture in the church. And, and that, that is because of this, this reality of the church as a mixture of honorable and dishonorable, as Paul teaches us in this passage. The work of the session, the elder board, is to discern which are largely determined by their fruits, by their behavior, and by their testimony, um, to discern and apply discipline for the good of all. Right? That is the calling of, of the session. The Apostle Paul is urging Pastor Timothy to use discernment and deal with those two men whose fruit has been shown to be bad, and then opening up his eyes to the reality that there is a mixture in the church. The visible church. And he's calling all men and women in the church to do this. He's calling all of us to work toward being a vessel for honorable use. That's the work you're called to do. Become a vessel for honorable use. Now, um, he writes in verse 21, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things... He will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. While the vessel for dishonor seeks to do harm within the house of God and seeks to work against the glory of God or simply does not at all have the glory of God in mind, the honorable honorable vessel, is this you, the honorable vessel has the glory of God in mind in every action. That's the honorable vessel. Is that you? Are you the honorable or dishonorable vessel? I challenged my children at dinner a few nights ago to give thanks to God in all that they did. If they are running while practicing soccer, they should be giving thanks in between pantings and, and, you know, wanting to feel like they're going to die. They should be giving thanks to God that they can run. Thank you, God, that I'm running, right? Like while we're doing it, not in hindsight, but like while we're doing these things. Thank God that, that my, my lungs are taking in oxygen right now. Thank God that I can be um, participating in this way, that I have eyes that can see the, the soccer ball. Um, that way they're not just playing soccer, but they're playing soccer for an, a higher goal, which is to glorify God. And not their own ego, right? It's not, I'm playing soccer so that, you know, people praise me for my athletic ability. I'm playing soccer because it gives me the opportunity to worship God. It gives me the opportunity to rejoice that I can do this. Calvin writes, in the reprobate, as in mirrors, 
we perceive how detestable is the condition of man if he does not sincerely promote the glory of God. Such examples, therefore, afford to us good ground for exhortation to devote ourselves to a holy and blameless life. Right? You can learn how to be holy by looking at a bad example. You can learn how to do almost anything by watching someone do it really poorly. That's part of the lesson, um, lessons we learn. Yes, we need to see it done well and right, but we can also learn um, from bad examples. So look at the misery of those who live for their own glory. Does that teach you that you should pursue holiness? It should be detestable to us that the gifted do not praise God or give thanks to God for their gifts. So many gifted people who have been given gifts by God that just simply do not acknowledge him. They think somehow they were educated into excellence. It's terrible ingratitude, but that is the way of all unbelievers. They live this life that they have been given by God, and they pass through every day with him gazing at them from heaven, and they never even think about him. They never once even acknowledge that there's a God above. So when we see the worldly boasting in their power, we should learn from that bad example to constantly be praising and thanking God. Constantly. You have a million things today already that you should have thanked God for as you, as you did them. Right? And dear brothers and sisters, how much better is everything when we do when we when we do it for God's honor? How much better is everything we do when we have a sense that we're doing this for God's honor and not simply for our own ego or our own comfort? Goodness, my own ego and my own comfort conflicts with me in my desire to serve the Lord all the time, doesn't it? I'm so in tune with what I want, me, my flesh, that, that I, I forget to give thanks to God for even the possibility of that. We can, you know, we can pick vegetables from our gardens, and we can boast about all the work we've done. All the times we got up early to water those plants, all the particular nutrients that we mixed up in the soil, and, and we can pick those vegetables and be in awe of God's creation, right? God's provision, God's creativity, the fact that he's provided for us out of our, uh, the ground of our backyard, Right, that, that terrible backyard that you wouldn't think anything could, could grow out of. I mean, last year we got this big, giant watermelon. And it was just crazy. It's like, how did that happen? It's, it's magic. No, it's God's will. But you could, you, so you could go back there and you could be thinking about, all, oh, this is all the work I did and boasting about yourself. Or you can be thinking, look what God has done here. I just... I, all I did was put a seed in the ground. The rest of it is God. It's all God. And so, you know, you can, you can uh, pick vegetables as a dishonorable vessel and you get all the glory. Or you can pick the vegetables as an honorable vessel and God gets all the glory. And which man do you think is going to enjoy the taste of his vegetables more? 
the one who's giving praise to God, the one who knows that he did nothing, one, to deserve those things, and two, to, ha- to have them grow. Notice here that the Apostle Paul urges us to cleanse ourselves from these things. And these things are the last sinful things that he's, he'd mentioned. Right? These things are wrangling about words, worldly and empty chatter. He says, cleanse yourself from those things. God calls us to holiness, brothers and sisters. He calls us to holiness, particularly in our use of words. Right? Our, our speech, our writing, our arguments. And yet we all know by experience what James tells us. Right? For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. You know, we all stumble in many ways. Paul admits it is, I mean, James admits it's very hard to control the tongue. And Paul's saying here, cleanse yourselves from this empty worldly chatter. If we, we reflect on the things we've said to our children, right? We reflect on what we said at our last gathering with women at the women's Bible study or with men at Triple B. And there were so many things. I I don't know if you do this, but after I'm with people, I replay conversations in my head that I had and things I said. You know, I think that that's what introverts do. Extroverts don't think at all. (laughs) I'm just kidding. They, They just don't. They don't have a shame about themselves, and so they just keep going on and keep talking, right? But introverts, they'll leave a group, and the first thing is relief, not to be in a group of people. And then the second thing is, oh, man, all the stupid things I said, and who am I going to have to reconcile with? Who am I going to have to talk to to clarify in this conversation? Why did I say that when the, the whole group was together? And so, you know, and there were... And often there are so many things that we say in those settings that do not contribute to the glory of God or to our brothers and sisters' holiness. That just don't contribute anything. All it did was contribute to our own glory. All it did was contribute to our, our happiness and worldly things. right? But it didn't contribute anything. Um, you know, and I, again, I'm not saying we can't talk about sports or we can't talk about this and that, but truly there are times when I come away and I'm like, I just, I didn't build anybody up. I didn't contribute anything worthwhile. It was worldly and empty chatter the whole time. Um, and particularly not just during the studies, but after the studies and in, in like the, the fellowship time. That's when the stupid comes out. Right? We, we all stumble in these ways. And God, though, calls us to holiness. He calls us to holiness. Holiness in the use even of our mouths. Notice, notice what the Apostle Paul goes on to say. If we cleanse ourselves from these things, we will be vessels for honor, sanctified, useful to the Master, prepared for every good work. Think about that. Is that what you want to be? Do you want to be useful to God? Do you want to be useful to the master? Do you want to be prepared for every good work and not let those good works sort of uh, slip away because you were unprepared, right? Do you want to be sanctified? Do you want to be a vessel for honor, 
Well, cleanse yourselves from these things. If by the power of the Spirit we are putting to death the deeds of our flesh, we will be saved, right? And, and by the power of the Spirit, we can, brothers and sisters. Do you believe this or are you defeated? By the power of the Spirit, you can put to death the deeds of your body. You can fight the, the sins of your mouth. And if you do... If you do that, you will be a vessel for honor, you will be sanctified, you will be useful to the master, and you will be prepared for every good work. Let's for a moment think about the opposite. If you do not pursue cleansing from worldly and empty chatter and wrangling about words, you will be a vessel for dishonor, unsanctified, useless to the master, and unprepared for any good work. That's rather dire, isn't it? Is that what we want to be? If we are ambivalent about our cleansing from sin, that is what we will prove to be. That is what Hymenaeus and Philetus were proving to be. Right? I think something happen, hampers us when it comes to our pursuit of holiness. We think that the pursuit of holiness is a loss of the things we enjoy. Isn't that what you think the pursuit of holiness is? It's going to be the loss of the things you, you enjoy. You enjoy gossiping, right? We all enjoy gossiping. You enjoy the lusts of your flesh. We all enjoy the lusts of our flesh, right? We enjoy, we enjoy getting even, right? Man, there's a satisfaction to getting even with people. We enjoy, and so the pursuit of sin is, is to put off all these things that we've been indulging ourselves in and enjoying. Right? And so, if we pursue holiness, we'll have to give up gossip, which we love so much, and anger, which is cathartic to us when we let loose, and lust, which leads to such wonderful thoughts and fantasies and feelings. We approach sanctification as if it is loss and not gain. Right? That's what we do. I know you think this way because I think this way. We approach, we, we stand, um, what stands out to me is that phrase that if we cleanse ourselves, we will be useful to the master. What glorious honor is there, isn't it? I mean, that's glorious honor to be useful to the, to the one who, who is omnipotent, to be useful to God. That God would lower himself to us is amazing. That, that he would describe us as useful to him is mind-boggling. Right? What a glorious gain, no, to be useful to God Almighty. Is that what you want to be? Is that why you pursue holiness? Because you want to be used by God. You want to be useful to the Master. This is proven to me in my own walk time and time again and also in the pastoral counseling that I do. A bad conscience leads to... Uh, leads to being useless for God. A bad conscience, the pursuit of sin rather than pursuit of holiness, leads to being useless to God. A bad conscience, a walk that is corrupted by significant habitual sin, leads to more and more uselessness to God. But a clean conscience, a clean conscience, one quick to repent, one truly pursuing holiness as a delight, that leads to greater and greater works and utility to the Lord. The husband with a bad conscience becomes a worse and worse husband. 
right? He may read all the books. He may read all the books on being a good husband. But if he doesn't repent of his bondage to pornography, he will continue to be a worse and worse husband. Right? He, he will not be ready for those good works that are necessary to be, uh, to be a good husband. Remember what Paul wrote in his first letter to Timothy? He said, but godliness actually is a means of great gain. Gain, right, when accompanied by contentment. Godliness, pursuing holiness, working on our salvation with fear and trembling, pursuing Christ-likeness, loving our sanctification. These are gains, not losses. Great gains, not great losses. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. The Apostle Paul wrote, Is it your ambition to be pleasing to him? Is it your ambition to be pleasing to him, or is that going to require holiness, which is just all of the loss of the things you actually love? Do we? Do we want to be useful to God? Or do you just want to indulge yourself? Do you want to have as your life's ambition to be useful to him, or do you want to run that rat race of selfishness Right, selfish ambition that the rest of the world is racing. Do you want to be like Jesus Christ, holy? Do you believe that you were created not simply to indulge your senses, but you were made to glorify and enjoy him forever, including today, not just after you die? You were created to glorify and enjoy him today. Do you want to be about your work which will decay with your dying, or do you want to be about the work of God which will stand forever? So, dear brothers and sisters, it's my hope. It is the latter, right? I hope you have a desire in your heart to serve God your entire life, to give to him because of the great gift he gave to you in Jesus Christ crucified. There is no regret in the Christian life because we are not giving up anything when it comes to the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ. We're not giving up anything. right? And we will know this full well when we stand in his presence having his his hand wipe away our tears. Meanwhile, those who thought sanctification was all about losses and, and all about sacrifices, and who ultimately didn't see any value in Jesus Christ, they will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. And then, if they are capable of any thoughtfulness at that point as they suffer, they will wish they had lived pursuing God, pursuing godliness, being useful to the Master. This makes me think of that overused Jim Elliot quote. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Right? You guys have heard that? He is no fool who gives what he cannot, who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. In other words, he is no fool who gives up his life now to be assured of his life with Christ in eternity. And this is what I pray for all of you young men and women, you children. 
right? I pray that you would have such a faith in Jesus Christ, such a delight in God, such a taste for godliness that you're powerfully used by our master, right? God, the Father Almighty. I pray that you quickly, quickly leave childish things behind and get tangled up in the spiritual warfare being waged between the spirit and the world and the flesh and the devil. I hope that you will find, children, I hope that you will find your pursuit of God always the most satisfying pursuit of your life. Right? Think about it. Some people pursue karate. Some people pursue crocheting. Some people pursue scuba diving. Some people pursue money-making with an all-encompassing passion. Right? When they stand before God Almighty on the day of judgment and he says, I never knew you, do you think those pursuits are going to sway God's judgment? But what of the man who served God in this life? God will say to that man, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the rest of your master. So make it your ambition in life to be pleasing to God. Make it your pursuit in life to be useful to the master. And and whatsoever you do, do it all to the glory of God. But the first thing and the thing for which all things are done is God himself and the enjoyment of him and his glory. He will satisfy your soul. He is the only gain you can have in this world and in this life. And so be a vessel that is honorable. Cleanse yourself from the the things of the world so that you might be this honorable vessel. And and let's not be too cosmic about all this. I mean, like, do this the rest of today. Like, like when we go to the fellowship meal, as you walk in, say, there are people here. To the glory of God, I'm going to talk to as many people as I can. Because that's going to honor God. Just... Start thinking every moment of your life like this. I want to be useful to the master. I want to pursue sanctification. And so tomorrow when you wake up, what is it going to be? Are you going to be honorable or dishonorable? Are you going to say, okay, what opportunities, God, are you giving me to to honor you today, to serve you? And may I enjoy every one of those opportunities. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask you to forgive us for the way in which we have lived for our own honor and not for your honor. Oh God, we pray that that would, that you would forgive us. It is a terrible sin. And that we would be given such a vision of you by your spirit and in your word that we would continually have our minds set on things above and not the things of the earth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.